You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vincent Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 108 of the Comic Book Informer podcast for your comics on January 30th, 2013. As usual, I'm your host, Vince, along with Roger. How you doing today, man? Oh, I'm surviving. Surviving? I, That's all you get. Better, better than the alternative. Basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so for this week's episode, we finally have the January lineup of the Marvel Now number ones that we're taking a look at. And... I really have to credit Marvel on this. We're not talking about 52 number ones at once. So thanks for oh, that. Yeah, help, really. Guys. <laughs> yeah, but thanks for putting out multiples like in the same month. So it's, it's just as bad. No, we're not getting 52, but we're getting like, we still have to trim how many, if you're watching and if you're budget conscious about how many um, series you're subscribing to, you're either having to cut some other ones out or fork out more money to them because they're putting out more than one in a month. Well, that's true. and But I'm appreciating it at least from the podcasting standpoint as we can actually give the issues a little more time to examine them and really find out if it's something we like or we don't like or just one look at it and toss it aside and go, no thanks. Yeah, I'm looking at it as a how much money do I have in my pocket and what do I have to give up in order to be able to read all of these freaking all new X-Men? <laughs> so that's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> Damn you, Bendis. Yes. And just as an aside, he did confirm on Twitter that there is a Spider-Man 2 in the works. Really? Mm-hmm. No, no when, Whoa. no why, no who, but it, it is happening. I just got a little excited. Down you need below the Mason Nixon line, I'm saying. <laughs> 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 what were we talking about? <laughs> All right, so the first comic we're talking about this week is New Avengers number one by Jonathan Hickman, Steve Epting, Rick Magyar, and Frank Darmada. And I, I'm i very conflicted on this comic, especially the first issue. Really? That's surprising. I would have thought this would have been right up your alley. Because, I mean, this is Hickman 101. Mm-hmm. This is... Well, the entire Illuminati concept I've never really been too on board with going back to when it was first introduced by Bendis back in the uh, old New Avengers. Old New – yeah, OK. Mm-hmm. It's just – I don't know. It seemed a little I – I, I was never really on board with it. Like I liked the concept of, oh, you know, the most powerful members of the, the Marvel Universe, you know, clandestine, behind-the-scenes stuff. It just as, – as a story function, it never quite worked out for me. But on the other hand, like you said, Hickman. Yeah. <laughs> and not only that, but – the central character in this new Illuminati is Black Panther, who Hickman, like we said, uh, when he was doing Fantastic Four, those last few issues, he decided he didn't want to write Fantastic Four anymore. So he just wrote a Black Panther comic for a couple months and it was amazing. So I was really interested to see how he was going to build off of that and into this. And at least the first issue specifically, it was very Black Panther focused, loved all the stuff there. Uh, the stuff they were building up with, you know, the the younger generation of Wakandans and the stuff that. But as the the overall, was it a great first issue? You know, really jump out and grab you. I don't think it quite worked with that. that. I'm not going to disagree with you. I not at all. This was something, but I mean, see, this is part for the course with Hickman though. If you were jumping into Fantastic Four in the middle of the mayhem that was going on with all of the 
the the the stuff that they were going through before the last few relaxing issues, we'll call them, um, then it would have been hard to just kind of bounce into that. And I think this is the same kind of thing where it's going to get better as it goes along, as we are um, further brought into the fold of what exactly is going on behind the curtain kind of thing. Um, And we see that with issue two as well kind of thing. Because, I mean, it's not Black Panther. Black Panther is essentially the voice of reason here kind of thing is what the impression I get. Um, But he's not the sole focus like we saw that in issue two. But, But again, as a first issue, I think that is it enough to really hook you in for the long haul? No, I, I don't think so either. But when read with the following issue, you can really appreciate where the story is going. So I, I've got a lot of faith already in where this is going based on, and, I, and again, the first couple of issues, not just the first one. Mm-hmm. And so basically what happens in the first issue is some sort of interdimensional merge happens with uh, two separate Earths with this weird girl, the Black Swan, and she blows up the other Earth, and, you know, Black Panther doesn't take that too kindly. But he realizes, you know, he's in above his head with once planets start getting destroyed. So he calls in the Illuminati, you know, uh, Captain America, Iron Man, Mr. Fantastic, Doctor Strange, Namor, and Black Bolt, basically the strongest, you know, group, all the higher ups in, in the hierarchy of the Marvel Universe. And Charles Xavier used to be a member before that happened. Scott. <laughs> but but then you kind of have one of the awkward things here where should this comic be the new Avengers? Like the Illuminati was a side story that Bendis did for a couple issues in his run of New Avengers. It was like, okay. But coming out with a comic called New Avengers number one and having it being centered around these Illuminati characters, well, these are neither Avengers nor are they very new. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, come on. Are we really going to start tackling adjectives with the, whether it's X-Men or Uncanny or Spectacular or, you know. I'm just saying if, if, if if I came in as a complete unknown and I picked up a comic called The New Avengers, I would expect, you know, Wolverine, Spider-Man, something along that. And, and like I said, this isn't even really an Avengers comic, let alone, you know, the whole the whole new thing. It just I will agree it, with you that. Yeah, it, it's it, it's a, it's an awkward comic to place within the actual lineup of Marvel. Yeah. OK, I can go with that. OK, so there's a issue one kind of stumbled. And I know we were not really talking about issue two as part of the, this whole you know, Marvel Now lineup. But I did want to shoot out there that I really enjoyed issue two. Like it, it, they literally drew you pictures to explain what was going on at some points, but it actually <laughs> it actually served a purpose in the story where, okay, you've got, you know, T'Challa and Reed Richards having to explain stuff like this to guys who aren't normally that that qu- as quick as the rest of them, you know, Steve Rogers and Namor and stuff. So, and, and okay, <laughs> they, they got all the exposition out of the way. So now going into issue three and beyond, we can actually move on with the story. But there was a lot of really cool stuff to like there, like especially the interactions between Namor and Black Panther because oh, yeah. after AVX, they, they are not exactly BFFs. No. <laughs> after this is done, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I'm paraphrasing there, but that's what he said. Not, not much. Not by much, no. No, I thought it was good too. And I and, and the diagrams killed me too. It's like, this is a complicated thing, okay? So I'm going to draw you some diagrams here. See the circle? That's us. That's Earth. Listen, I've read a lot of Hickman comics and... 
they're appreciated. Pictures, pictures <laughs> would be handy in few, quite a few of them. <laughs> We're going to need a pie chart on page 53, boys. <laughs> but also the whole concept of, you know, when the Illuminati were first formed, you know, in chronology, you know, way back when, but, you know, back, you know, like 2008, I think it was, they invited Black Panther to be a member because, you know, he was a ruler of, of you know, the heroes of the world and he refused because he didn't like the concept of, you know, all these powerful people, be they heroes or not, getting together behind everyone's backs to, you know, decide what was best. And he he rejected membership. So you have that interesting drama of he's the one that called them all together because he finally realizes that at least for this particular situation, something like that is needed. I'm trying to remember, Did the, was the, the, the creation of the Illuminati, was that during the Civil War? That's when the comics were coming out, but the actual chronology of it was the Illuminati were first formed way back during the Kree Scroll War. Okay. Okay. Because I remember which, reading which, it. Which but. in real world time was like 1967, right. but, <laughs> but in Marvel time was, you know, last week. Right. Okay. All right. So that's all for New Avengers. We're moving into the, the Savage Wolverine by Frank Cho and Jason Keith. And we, we briefly touched on this last week, and I have a feeling we're briefly going to touch on it again this week. Sum it up in one week. I, I had one no phrase. interest in reading it, but of course, you know, we read this crap so you don't have to. So I, I decided to check it out. And you, you, you actually read it without being forced to, so I'm going to let you talk about it. Seriously, it's one line. Wolverine gets dropped in the Savage Land, no explanation, meets a chick in a bikini, can't get off the island. There you go. Kills some dinosaurs, tries to figure a way off. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. There, there's not much more to it. If you're looking for underlying themes or pie charts or graphs, <laughs> you're not going to need one for this. <laughs> I mean, distilled down to its core, there are any number of comics revolving around the central premise of Wolverine in the Savage Land that I would read in a heartbeat. This just didn't really work on any level. And I, I can't quite put my finger on why it didn't work. It just, it was oh, there's boring. So many it was a, it was an issue about Wolverine stabbing dinosaurs and it was boring. Yeah, no, it was, I'm sorry. It was not good. It, it, and too many things are ridiculous. You know, she stabs him through the stomach with the spear and then she's all happy to see him. And then they go on having a conversation while he's trying to dig the spear out. And this whole thing of, he just, falls there he just kind of shows up and it's like what am i doing here there's no explanations no nothing one would assume one will be forthcoming down the line at some point but a little bit more would have been nice here it's i no i wasn't impressed yeah and one other thing to to kind of talk about here is shanna herself shanna the she-devil long-standing character in uh you know marvel history she's been around since i think like the 70s or whatever but this whole thing about Marvel now is, you know, taking what's old and, you know, repackaging it. And if you're going to do that, take the girl whose costume consists of nothing more than a fur bikini and do something with it. <laughs> like this was it, it's everything we've always talked about, like the worst of comic book art and the portrayal of female characters. It was just TNA left and right. And, you know, I get that, you know, that's kind of the core concept of the character. But, you know, this is 2013. It's time to maybe shift some paradigms here. Could not agree with you more. I was actually not going to say anything just because it feels like I keep harping on this. <laughs> and and, and we will continue to. Okay. But I was going to let it go and just say it's ridiculous, stupid. But yeah, no, completely agree. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, she's working alongside S.H.I.E.L.D. in the story. You know, when you're kind of flying around and you're not actually in the jungle, 
pants. Yeah, really. Look into them. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Now, one of the most, I don't want to say anticipated because we were kind of really looking forward to it. But on the other hand, we were very hesitant given, you know, what had come before. And that's Uncanny X-Force number one by Sam Humphreys, Ron Garney, Danny Mickey, Marte Gracia, and Israel Gonzalez. And this is, of course, coming off of Rick Remender's ridiculously amazing run on that title over the course of its 36 issues or whatever it was. And, oh, man. This was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't jump up and say this was amazing because there's a lot of stuff I really liked. Like, first of all, the two central characters being Storm and Psylocke, two of my favorite X-Men characters because, you know, they've been through a lot and they're very interesting. And in the hands of a good writer, they can be very, very cool characters. And we see that they're both working through their, their own personal issues, Storm with uh, – her history with Black Panther, Psylocke, as we find out her, her relationship with Phantom X <laughs> did not end admirably. Uh, but the, the two of them kind of teaming up and, you know, working out their their frustrations by punching some bad guys in the face. Not exactly a bad way to go about it. It was awesome. It was absolutely fantastic. It was brilliantly written in terms of, I mean, when you're watching through... Uh, the first oh, quite a few pages here, there's really not a lot, there's not a lot of action going on. And there's also quite a bit of flashbacks as well going on. And to be able to hold your interest while that's all going on and still make you, again, quote unquote, page turner, it, he, he did a very, very good job with the writing. So, and then the way that the characters are portrayed, both Storm and Psylocke, I'm glad it would have been so easy to border on melodramatic and he didn't. It's a, it's a very fine line, but no, they're dark. They're dark. They've both been through a lot. They're trying to deal with it, but it doesn't go into stupid melodrama where you're rolling your eyes. And at the very, at at the right point, when just when it could have kind of been, okay, this is going on long enough here. You're feeling sorry for yourselves. Boom. Put them in, into some action. So, and I, I was hesitant when I heard about Puck and it was like, oh God, cause I'm not thrilled about him kind of thing, <laughs> but he did all right here. He did all right. Nothing spectacular, but he, he did I didn't all right. hate him, which is a step up for the character. Exactly. So <laughs> kind of like Hawkeye. I didn't hate him in this issue. <laughs> and the way that they deal with him too was well done kind of thing. So I, and then the action itself too, with this, uh, what it was Spiral, I believe her mm-hmm. name is. Yeah. Again, you're not getting a ton of it, but it's, you can see how it's going to be leading to a, a really rich backstory here that they're going to work on. I don't know how many issues, but Again, well done. I really liked it. Yeah, when they first introduced, you know, the team and, you know, Puck was like, oh, okay, you know, he's like B-list Wolverine, fine. But Spiral, I was like, why Spiral? I had completely forgotten about her history with Psylocke. You know, how Psylocke got taken over into the Mojo world and had her eyeballs extracted and replaced with video cameras so that Mojo could, like, it's a really crazy backstory, but it's, it's a history between those two characters I had completely forgotten about. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing that I kind of was like mm, was Bishop. I was like, hmm, this better be good. That's the one thing about the storyline that does have me most excited because Bishop is really on the crap list amongst the X-Men. I mean, he tried to kill Professor X himself. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, ways they can go with Bishop. And, and as I said, he's actually going to end up being an established member of the team. So seeing how they work through that personally, I'm very interested in. Yeah, I agree. And the and art. Then a- 
And then, of course, we have the last page yeah. showing what's up with Phantom X. Uh, for those who missed it, at the end of Uncanny X-Force, they actually brought Phantom X back to life. But there is a bit of a hiccup with the cloning process on his body because Phantom X has multiple brains. So instead of all three of those brains ending up in one body, they ended up in three separate bodies. You had standard Phantom X. You have the one who is now known as Cluster, who is female Phantom X. And then you have evil Phantom X, who was hilarious. <laughs> but here we see in the last page something – so disturbing. Sure, I was I'm just going to say. talk about it. <laughs> I was looking at that too and I was going, ooh, well, I mean, when you're kind of comparing it to someone with a mighty right arm, it's along the same lines. <laughs> it takes pleasing yourself to a whole different meaning is what it does. All I can remember is in Ultimate Spider-Man when Johnny Storm kissed Spider-Girl, yes. Spider-Woman, she was calling herself, and then found out she was a clone of Peter. Like, that was kind of like, haha, funny. This was just, ew. <laughs> but they're not really siblings. They're the same it's, thing. Yeah. Oh, so God. it's kind of, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just have to applaud that, though, because come on. <laughs> Who else would have thought of that? <laughs> I, I really want to see how the others are going to react to seeing that as well. That's going to be so much discomfort. All of us, yes. Because the clone is who stole her boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> Come on. That, that can't not be great. And that, I, we talked about the artwork. I just wanted to point out some of the stuff here, like especially when they're in the club, like the scene where Psylocke has Spiral in the headlock and she's holding the psychic dagger to her head. There is so much fantastic art going on in that one panel because you have great, you know, drawing alone, the shadowing and the coloring the colors, with yeah. you have all the lights going on in the club, but you also see the reflection from the psychic dagger. I mean, that that was just top tier work from the art team on, on this issue. I was really, really impressed. Was it? Uh, hold on a second here. I'm going to pull that up. Do, 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 do. Edit this out. So, yeah, we got, um, yeah, so Ron Garney was a penciler, and then Danny Mickey was the... On inks, yeah. And then Marte Ticker. Garcia and Israel Gonzalez tag-teamed the colors, and they all delivered. Yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, so impressive. <laughs> all right, and then the last one is Young Avengers, which <clears throat> I considered not making you read, but since, you know, we didn't have a whole lot uh, on the lineup this month... Uh, I figured we'd go for it. Uh, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Jamie McKelvey, Mike Norton, and Matthew Wilson. And I have a lot of thoughts on this issue, but I'm actually going to hand it completely off to you at first to, to see where you're going with it. Why? Why would you do that? You know I didn't like it. I know, but I want to you know, know what you didn't like and why you didn't like it. Because it is the melodrama. Mm -hmm. It is stupid. You know, we've seen a lot of, of teenage series that are... For teenagers kind of thing that or about teenagers and we've seen some that were done exceptionally well and then some that are just a whole whack load of melodrama for the sake of melodrama and that's what this is and and again it's not that i dislike series with teenagers man some of the teen titan stuff was unbelievably awesome I loved it. And, uh, and hell, even some of the Teen Titan stuff that was like TV shows or, or different shows with kids and whatnot that I'd watch with my kids, man, loved it. They were awesome. They were great. You can do it well. But too much of this is, 
it's stupid melodramatic bullshit and you have it in the the um i, I almost want to say now mandatory gay couple um although i did like him impersonating spider-man i thought that was funny that was- as, as as gillen pointed out uh McKelvey, if you look carefully he drew spider-man wrong like it's a bad approximation of Spider-Man that Hulkling is doing there. Like if you actually look at the artwork, like the feet, he actually has toes yes, instead I of the booties. That. Like He's the got eyes aren't ears. right. There's a lot of those little details that that was well done. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. Um, but then again, the relationship gets meh, it's just borders on melodramatic. Um, I did like the whole thing about bringing the mother back. That was kind of it's going to produce a, an interesting twist. It'll be fun. But then again, all the stuff with this young Loki and this chick and. and Again, melodramatic stupidity. I, I've got no use for it. Now, you see, this was something I was really looking forward to because, you know, as anybody knows, I'm a huge fan of Gillen, and uh, I, I, I like a lot of these characters individually. So I was interested to see what was going to happen when you put them together. So going back to Billy and Teddy, because that, they were really the focal point of this issue, I'll agree that the whole the whole romantic drama thing was taken over the top, but... One thing I do have to say that I did admire because these two characters previously were kind of a beat you over the head. Hey, look, these are two young gay boys. Whereas at least in this issue, yes, it was overly dramatic, but it was written no differently than if it had been a boy and a girl. So that I do have to point out is something that I did admire compared to previous iterations of these two characters. And again, that's not something that bothers me. So that I don't care. I mean, look at how much how much love I've thrown towards Wolverine in the extreme Wolverine <laughs> one. I could give a rat's ass who you're going to bed with. But when it's melodramatic teenage crap, and and I understand I was a teenage too, a teenager too. That's what it is when you're in that world. But you can present it in a way that it doesn't come across yeah. as such because it's not fun to read that. And we're looking at one, two, three, four pages of that conversation between the two of them. It just dragged on. It was melodramatic. Yes. We got tears in the big kiss. And it's like, oh, come on, man. Look at what happened in Wolverine's Peeps, the latest one, between Wolverine and Aurora. Shaved her head, kissed her. There you go. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's all you need. It doesn't have to be four pages of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also wanted to touch on the opening scene between uh, Novar and Kate, who is also Hawkeye, <laughs> and how, like, Gillen has said he wants this to be, you know, a comic about young adults, you know, making the mistakes and also the triumphs that young adults do. And it starts off in a very interesting place with, you know, these two just had what appears to be some sort of one night stand. And, but it wasn't, it was well handled, especially the See, fact I that we talk so. so much. Hmm? I didn't think so. Again, okay. I thought it just came off as so much fluff and, and and taking it lightly. And it was like, it just came off really cheesy and stupid, in my opinion. Uh, although I do want to point out, at least in that one scene, as we as a counterpoint to Savage Wolverine, it's the male character just being done in the cheesecake way. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's still something I could overall do without. But if you're going to do it and flip the script, uh, okay, I'm, I'm all right with that. But um, is that overall... I, I wasn't terribly impressed with the issue and I didn't hate it quite as much as you did because I, I still have that glimmer of hope. And, and as we've seen on many comics, that's perhaps clouding some of my judgment. I Loki and Miss America were ancillary to the story in the issue. Like just, 
I, it, it's all over the place at this point, and I'm really oh, going to yeah. have to see if and when it gels in, into being the Young Avengers instead of this, you know, desperate group of teenagers. I, I'm really, I'm withholding judgment on this, and it's something I really wanted to like going in. So, I, I, I don't know at this point. Yeah, the stuff with Loki just was did not belong in there, and on top of that, was stupid, in my opinion. I won't disagree. Yeah. All right, so that's all we got for the uh, Marvel Nows this month. I have some stuff to look forward to, some stuff to avoid, and we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I, I could guarantee I'll be bringing up Young Avengers and what we're reading down the road. But as for that, what we're reading, I've got an interesting lineup this week. First of all, Uncanny Avengers number three. Did you check that one out yet? Yes, I did. Okay. Thoughts, briefly? Give me a second to find it again. Okay, while you're remember. finding, I'm going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> This is a very love it or hate it issue where uh, Rick Remender, as we've seen, is a very unconventional writer. And he was trying to do something very unconventional here as, as drawing the entire comic to a very old school place. I mean, if you got Red Skull as your main villain, you might as well go old school with it. You have the villains with ludicrous names. You had a lot, a lot of narration going on on the side of the story. But worked for me in this issue and I can't point to anything that I, I, I point out because you know as everybody knows I'm a huge fan of the Chris Claremont X-Men which was just dialogue for the sake of dialogue and all the narration here it wasn't overly verbose it had a good pacing to it it had a good style to it it was it was very much prose as opposed to just flat out comic book writing and that in comparison to the actual events of the comic, which were freaking awesome. I mean, Hawk, uh, Havoc was being great, you know, his interactions with Cap, all the stuff going on with Thor and Wolverine. Like, overall, the, the actual plot of the issue was really cool. And just the way the style came together worked out quite well for me, but I can understand why a lot of people wouldn't have liked it. Actually, I stand corrected. I didn't read it. There's too many freaking Avengers titles to remember <laughs> which ones you've read. It's nuts. All right, then. Uh, next, Wolverine and the X-Men, as we talked about uh, the most recent issue. Was it 24 or 25? I forget which. After the three-issue circus arc, which was quite the departure from what we've come to expect from the comic, but I, I wasn't crazy about it, but you know, you can't have everything being the same. So he, he, Jason Aaron threw that in a completely different direction with the weird Frankenstein circus. But this issue got things back to what we've uh, come to know the comic for, with just these cool character bits and just a whole bunch of awesome stuff. I mean, on one hand, it's a largely about members of the cast pairing off because you have Kitty and Bobby, you have <laughs> Quentin and young Gene Gray. Awesome. <laughs> which, oh God, please. <laughs> and then of course they have the stuff with Storm, which is a nice parallel to Uncanny X-Force, uh, seeing that T'Challa realizes he kind of <laughs> might have made a mistake <laughs> when he let Storm go, but Storm is not happy about it. And this is where, you know, as we saw in Uncanny X-Force, as well as I think in the Avenging Spider-Man, you know, she's gone back to her old mohawk look, which when initially introduced back in the 80s, it was because there had been a change in her character and she wanted to express that in a different way. And she chose to you know, do that with her hair. So as we see here, she's reaching kind of that same point in her character development where she needs a change and you know maybe going back to the old way for her is is kind of what she needs right now so i i really liked every single aspect of this issue and of course id and brew oh my god see the stuff with storm too like you were saying it was at a time back then where wasn't it right when she lost her powers 
It was some, yeah, it was it was somewhere along that line where I'm she kind of she she was getting away from her whole you know goddess of the elements thing and just getting, becoming a little more grounded of a person. I can't remember if it was before she lost her powers or after though, but it was it was something that represented again a much tougher. Um, storm it didn't matter if she had powers or not kind of thing and i remember reading those way back in the day i would like to go back and read those issues again but uh, i remember that because if again if memory serves i remember there being a point when again when she was leading they were saying why is she leading us she doesn't have powers and she took on all of them without powers (laughs) in the danger room and so something like this now where she is no longer a queen she's lost her husband who doesn't want to be with her anymore and she is so conflicted about everything that's happened kind of thing to find that inner strength again that she had back then with this symbol i was all for it i think it's awesome it was and and of course too as a visual it's it they make it look so absolutely awesome yeah, so bra- bravo for that. Get- getting Wolverine and X-Men back to what we love so much about it. And Brew? Oh, yeah. Dude! <laughs> Did you see the cover for the next issue? Um, like it's some yes. sort of feel school trip or whatever, and if you look, you can see they have Brew on a leash. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, uh, I also have Wonder Woman. Uh, I've really been enjoying what uh, Brian Azzarello is doing with the story here, where he's melding together a lot of the mythological aspects of DC. I mean, of course, we have Wonder Woman with the whole Olympians and stuff there. But he's bringing in the new gods, uh, you know, Orion and uh, a lot of those characters. But what's really cool is the way he's doing it is they're no longer the new gods. They're actually, you know, they've been established for so long. They're also part of, you know, the old gods in this universe. And they're just as worried about the the new birth that's been, you know, what the story is revolving around as everyone else is. So that's a really cool way to bring those characters in. But do it in a different and interesting way. And you also have this weird, you know, the firstborn that's been going around. And it finally occurred to me, that's Hercules. That's the DC version of Hercules, who is nowhere near the hero that the Marvel version is. And it's it's something I'm really, really excited because in the uh, the lore, well, in, in the actual mythology, Hercules killed all the Amazons. Yeah, that's that's what he did. He wasn't a very nice guy in then either. Whereas in the DC history, he didn't kill them all. He actually enslaved them. And, well, you can do the math from there. But that's actually what Wonder Woman's uh, bracelets represent was the manacles that the Amazons wore for so many centuries before they broke free. So I'm really waiting to see what they're going to do when those two characters finally come together because there's so much behind that. I'm behind a couple of issues right now, so I'm looking forward to picking those up and going through them. Mm-hmm. And one last one I wanted to throw out there was The Answer. It's, uh, crap, I think it was from Dark Horse. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's from Dark Horse. Uh, but it's by Dennis Hopeless, who we know from Cable and X-Force, and Mike Norton, who's just, just everywhere these days. I mean, he had all that battle pug money is kind of going to his head because he's jumping all over mm-hmm. and all these various comics. Good for him, though. And this was just really cool. Like, it revolves around two characters. One, this, you know, bookwormish librarian who gets this mysterious puzzle box and solves it in no time flat. And, you know, basically guys are coming after her to kill her because, you know, she could solve the puzzle. And we don't know why yet. And then you also have this superhero character, The Answer, who is ludicrous. Like it's, some, it's something you would expect to see on the tick. <laughs> his mask is a giant exclamation point. But he puts Batman to shame with his levels of planning. And you see he has so many things planned out ahead of time. And I, I just found it very fun. I, I'd recommend anybody check that one out. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that one yet. All right. So uh, what have you got for us this week? <sighs> Chew number 31, dude. 
Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes, that yes, was yes. awesome. So here is where they're having the funeral for Antonelle, and you're getting um, all kinds of different flashbacks as well, and then you're getting the flashback for when he, when his wife died, and then what happened with the little girl, which we see later on, of course, and why he wasn't the one that raised her, and then in between that, you're also getting the story, which I, I really like how... He took this, let's bring it back to what made it successful initially, get him back into the FDA, back with Colby, who, who's got a date for that night after the funeral, <laughs> but the, get the team back together essentially, and then um, heading out to try to figure out what happened and, and to Antonelle and basically catch the killer. Um, but then there's also the case that they're working on at that point, which is freaking hysterical people just <laughs> bursting into flame, <laughs> spontaneous combustion because of an energy drink mixed with chicken. <laughs> so I, and again, typical craziness from layman, but uh, start to finish, love this issue. All right. And uh, lastly, I've, I've got quite a few more, but somebody just kind of rattled off there for a little too long. Um, Usually I'm the guy with one or two. So yeah, yeah. Get, let me have my week. Um, 47 Ronin, number two. I actually haven't read that oh, yet. Okay. Well, I mean, it's not spoiling. Like I have it. I just haven't read it. <laughs> um, it's basically, again, the continuation. Mm -hmm. uh, and then what happens with all the characters and of course again it's no surprise the, the the main character having to to kill himself because it's he's ruled against very rapidly but then the news getting back to the families and how they proceed from there um if, if you if you actually try to explain it it would come off as perhaps a little dull, this kind of stuff to some people but when you're reading it through he does such a phenomenal job of the writing to keep you really engrossed in the story the whole way. And then of course the art, well, you, you can't say enough about the art. The art is absolutely amazing. So I know we're going to be covering this issue or this, this series a little later on, but, uh, but just to say, I, I, I did go through it and absolutely loved it. <laughs> and that's yeah. it. All right. So on to this week's new releases. And with this being the odd fifth Wednesday of the month, um, there's not a lot to choose from, but that's that's not necessarily always a bad thing. For Marvel, we have Avengers number four, Dark Avengers number 186, Hawkeye number seven, Punisher Warzone number four, Superior Spider-Man number two, and Extreme X-Men number nine. Now, a quick note I'd like to make uh, about Hawkeye is uh, they actually derailed their ongoing storyline to put out this special issue, which uh, deals with Clint and Kate in New York City dealing with uh, Hurricane Sandy. And uh, Matt Fraction has said he is donating all of his pay for that issue to the Red Cross for Hurricane Sandy relief. So uh, very classy. Yeah. To check that one out. <laughs> From DC, we have Aquaman and Flash, number 16. Aquaman, if you're really into that whole war for Atlantis thing, as well as Talon, number four. And then from everybody else, from IDW, we have Doctor Who, Prisoners of Time, number one, which is the start of a really cool series where uh, in celebration of Doctor Who's 50th anniversary this year, they're actually putting out an issue for each Doctor, which, of course, would be 11 issues, and then a mysterious 12th issue, which... As anybody who's a fan of Doctor Who, I really want to know what's going on there. <laughs> and then from Image, we have Happy Number 3, Finally Invincible Number 100, where we've been promised everyone dies, and Mara Number 2. 
So that's it for us this week. Thanks for listening. As always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CB Informer. And then we'll see you next week. 